Welcome to the Private Practice Made Perfect podcast with me, Kathy Love. I'm a business coach who helps allied health professionals run powerful and profitable businesses in the disability sector. Join me for cutting-edge interviews with leaders in the allied health and business fields, along with plenty of practical content that you can use to make your business practice perfect. Tawny is looking at me on the other side of the uh, little white podcast light. Welcome to the conversation. Hi, Kathy. Thanks for having me. Well, this is so much more formal than usual, isn't that? But we'll, we'll get the hang of it. So <laughs> Catherine is uh, most definitely on the track to CEO of um, her amazing business up in Queensland, Sensational Healing Allied Health. Uh, let's start by going up, going up in the lift and the lift doors open. Mm-hmm. And what do we see when we step out into your into your business? Um, our, our big, beautiful, open space waiting area. So we have quite nice high ceilings. I think they're three metres something. Um, and we've got a really soft kind of colour palette, which is really lovely. So lots of whites and um, sand-coloured, uh, timber-coloured flooring and, and some plants and, you know, a really, um, really kind of chilled space. But we also very purposely designed our reception desk to have this really nice curve at the bottom of it so all our little kids can peek over and say hello to our our admin staff and get their little prizes at the end of session and, and things like that so it's a big open space a little bit echoey at the moment still working on that but um nice open space and then it kind of leads into two separate wings of a, a big rectangle box so yeah now I don't even think the lift was there two years ago what um what did it look like even 12 months ago this particular space a big empty shell, a fishbowl, a fishbowl. Um, yeah. yeah, it was the second level of of a um, area in our local shopping centre, and it's it's sat empty since the shopping centre opened in twenty eighteen. So it was literally a concrete floor, a floating ceiling, and um, all of the external walls are a glass. So it literally was a fishbowl. Yeah, but you found this premises the year before that. You found it in twenty nineteen. I did. And, and that was it. COVID there happened. was no changing your mind. <laughs> yes, no, there wasn't. Well, we looked at a few other spaces, but it was um, it was close to to my home, which I'm I'm not a fan of a commute, so that was a big ticket mm. item. But it's also co-located with um with a nice big GP clinic. It's near the new um, P12 school in our region, and and um, lots of growth out this way as well. So it was it was a good spot to to set up. Yeah, yeah, and pandemic. <laughs> Nothing's going to kind of swat, uh, yeah, squash these plans. So talk us through a little bit about your team right now because I think that will just make the last 12, 18 months <laughs> a whole lot more meaningful. So who's rattling yeah. around in your beautiful big rectangle and purpose-built premises? Yeah, so we have a total of 20 of wonderful team. Uh, we've got eight occupational therapists, uh, nine if you include me. Uh, we have three mental health clinicians um, who are made up of a psychologist and two social workers. One of our social workers will also play therapist. She's just an absolute gem to have around. We've got four therapy assistants and then at the moment we've got four client care team members as well, so practice manager and, and three others. 
and a couple of little kids running around as well. Yes, they could be junior yours. receptionist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they could be yours. And this just hasn't, well, it has almost happened overnight. So go back to kind of 12 months ago. Yeah. Yeah, 2021 was was huge. So I think at the end of 2020, we put on our therapy assistance um, and that was a really great addition to the team and really nice way to offer another layer of service. So they all work out in the community, mostly out in the community. They do help run some groups on site. Um, And then... Once we moved, we in September, we started to add to teams. So we had another senior OT come on and then um, our two new grad OTs come on at the end of the year. And our two of our TAs actually graduated uni and, and became our mental health team, which was really exciting. It's really nice to see them grow and graduate. And, and now they're, they're fully-fledged clinicians, which is really exciting. Um, and then we had another senior OT come at the start of the year. So. Lots and lots of growth, lots and lots of training. Lots of growth. And if we think of the last 12 months, you've doubled, tripled team, whatever the num- the stat is. I think it was you've, double, yeah. Yeah, double team. You've planned and fitted out really spectacular rooms. And let's just remember that you kind of grew and delivered a human as well. I just like to bite off more than I can choose yeah, sometimes. Just yeah, just swim like yeah, hell. Yeah, we did that as well. For sure. So there was a phase last year where you were, um, you know, doing final fit out, building furniture, 35 weeks. Preg- like, it, yeah, you had a really intense two September or three months was September was pretty crazy, yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what did, like, this big year, what, what did you really learn from it? Ah, lots. So much. Um, I think I learned how much you can really squish into a year (laughs) but you probably do need some time at the end of that to recuperate and recover um we learn a lot about how important it is to and how much time it takes up to support team and new team um that you need to sort of put everything else on the back burner and really focus on helping everybody to settle in and you know stuff as simple as where you find the coffee machine um right through to you know how are you managing caseload and and emerging as a, a new graduate therapist, particularly for all our new grads that we took on. Um, and then also just around how much the team really does need, need to, but also they, they do really well, work really well together. That togetherness is just so important to achieve the, the bigger picture goal. Yeah. Uh, you learned way more than that. Come on, share the goods. <laughs> <laughs> what uh, did you learn about yourself? Oh. <laughs> uh, uh, I learned that when my team was small, I was probably too nice, too friendly. And um, the journey to CEO has been a big learning curve. Uh, if we get into some of the nitty gritty, um, finding my big girl boots was definitely a big part of 2021. And finding, and, and, and even now, still finding some level of my comfort zone of, of really going from what sort of felt like a senior clinician kind of role, I guess, managing, you know, three or four clinicians underneath you to really now really feeling like the director of a company. It does feel yeah. very, very different. Yeah. So what does your diary look like as director of the company? Where does your time go? Oh, so at the moment, as we're still onboarding everybody, there's a lot of um, mm. intermittent support, unstructured support, which is tricky. It's really highlighting um, that some of our processes still definitely need tweaking. 
how do we support staff to go find the information instead of just going and asking people? Um, but my diary at the moment predominantly looks like two days a week of very high intensity team facing. So meeting supervision, peer supervision, um, uh, catching up with our leadership crew. Uh, so lots and lots of face to face. The next day looks a little bit more like quality improvement work. Some, you know, actually getting getting to be at my desk doing some work. Um, and then I actually work deliberately work from home one day a week to do all of the business management. Otherwise, it just doesn't get done. <laughs> so yeah. finances and paying the bills and um, reviewing all our numbers and things like that. And then the goal on a Friday at the moment, given that we have a four-month-old at home, is to actually have a day off. So, um, is that to, working? Sort of. <laughs> the last two weeks we actually did mental health first aid training as the team and the only days that we could get were Friday but it's it's going to so I'm really having to quarantine time for me because I obviously don't get a full night's sleep every night and at the moment four days a week is is much much more achievable so that's Mm. sort of what my week looks like at the moment Mm. but it's big shift big shift from from clients and case notes and and reports and all that sort of jazz yeah what sort of tactics have you used because you, your team know you as a clinician and then they knew you as a like the clinical manager as such and whilst you've brought in a lot of new team in the last six months they're now getting to know you as more of a CEO mm. what have been some of your kind of tips and tactics around that repositioning and messaging I think if I had to sum it up, there'd be two key elements to it. One is is establishing that leadership team mm. and and actually, and we call it that, we're very explicit with calling it that and, and setting up those structures around supervision line management. So really sort of buffering myself, I guess, with these four other amazing people that work at, at that level. So two OTs, our senior mental health clinician and our practice manager um, and sort of training the team on that most of the time you can go to one of those four people to get your your question answered. Had to redirect a lot of the time. Um, mm. Even this week, I had a, a clinician come to me about a case where there was a family seeing multiple therapists, and I, I just said, "I'm really sorry. I actually don't know anything about this family. Um, who, Good luck. Who's the best person on the leadership team to ask." So, so there's been that piece. So, um, and that uh, just so grateful for having those amazing clinicians and our practice manager on board. It's really exciting. And the other piece has been um, we've done a lot of systemology work around trying to systemise our practices so we're not getting all of those questions and and Mm. to then be able to create that structure and framework to be able to teach the team on these are all the different areas that make our business function and these are the core elements that I look after. And most of the time it means that it's the curly and HR piece, the, the business management piece and everything else is looked mm-hmm. after by um, your amazing leadership team. Yeah. So go and talk to it. Yep. They've, they've got a handle on it. Yep. It gets you wondering, um, is it really a really good chance your team doesn't know what you do? Yes. Mm. <laughs> I think I'm still working that out myself, to be honest. Okay. Oh, well, we won't let them start <laughs> guessing. Yeah. Yeah. Because they're clinicians and they they are serving in that clinical role. And this whole business management piece is, is a bit of a mystery. It's just a completely unknown and foreign to them. Um, mm. And uh, I, I think, 
you know, that gap becomes increasingly obvious as business owners shift from clinician to clinical manager to director to kind of CEO. And I think there's a whole lot of assumptions sitting there, uh, which sometimes I think need to be a little unpacked and just kind of managed because when there's an absence of information and knowledge, people fabricate. Oh, definitely. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So that, you know, transparency is really important. And I think that's one of our our plans once we finish that systemology kind of process, which is sort of about halfway through at the moment, is what are all those things? I I think I've, I've sort of spoken to our leadership team about, you know, if we think of it sort of like an hourglass, we put all of the work to be done in the top of the hourglass all the, as you would say, Kathy, those tender tasks are tiny grains of sand <laughs> that filter through down to the bottom of the team. Mm. Those bigger, medium $100 tasks filter down to the leadership team and then those big rocks are left for me to tackle. And I think once we can tease out what those rocks are, then, you know, we'll be able to teach the the rest of the team around what does Catherine actually do in a week? Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 So your leadership is new, uh, newish. You know, they're kind of a few months in. They're not years and years and years in. Uh, but they're kind of tracking really, really nicely. What have you been doing to really set them up for success? Because they're in a new role, mm. in a new company that has grown very quickly, and you're in a new role. How are you kind of getting the runs on the board there? Structure has been really big and role definition. So making sure that the PDs that we developed were quite explicit in the differences between a clinician and a, and a clinical lead. So our, our, our leadership team positions are called clinical leaders. Uh, so it was really clear from the get-go, hey, these are the core elements of your job that are different from just being a clinician. Uh, so that's been helpful for them, but then also creating structure in the work that they do. So that's where this, that using that systemology approach. So, you know, the our, one of our clinical leads, her the core element of her senior role is um, quality improvement and, you know, we've been able to have lots of conversations around, okay, what are the projects for the first mm-hmm. half of the year that we want to tackle? Uh, and then we've also made sure we've got good structure around um, things like our clinical coaching processes and our line management processes so they know who they're meant to be looking after, who they're mm-hmm. supporting both from a clinical perspective but also from a management perspective and having really clear delineation about that. Um, so that's been really, really helpful as well. And just sort of thinking some of the other things and just having regular time allocated to actually yeah. communicate and have those yeah. discussions. So everyone, calendars, like I've spent weeks working on calendars for everybody to make sure everyone's calendars are locked in both for client work and for support time. Everyone's got their clinical coaching booked in for six months. We have our leadership meeting booked in once a fortnight. So there's lots of time allocated to make sure those conversations are getting had and the work's actually getting chipped away at. So Yeah, yeah. And I guess it's one that you're going to just keep it's gonna you're gonna keep monitoring and upping and evolving and getting feedback uh, because mm-hmm. this leadership team it's a it's a real it's a good investment but it's a sizable invent, investment you're wanting that return on it as well because yeah, these guys should be holding a lot of accountability for their you know their reports um, but you're also wanting them to take things off your plate at the right rate and for the right reason yeah. as well yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. Uh, so your team, so we've talked a lot about your clinicians, but as the whole business has grown, the clinicians are grown, the customer service doesn't just happen by magic as well. So you've had to build out your customer service team. Mm. And you do have a bit of a unicorn 
sitting in there. We won't name her because, you know, she's just too special. But what's that been like, getting the organisational chart more and more correct on the customer service side? I think it's very much mirrored the clinical side. It's just been a little Mm. smaller. So it's been really spending, investing a lot of time in our practice manager. We're going through those same motions of setting up line management supervision. So everyone's got an hour a month of time to have a chat about how things are going, making sure everyone has a PDP in place by the start of the year. Uh, And then just going through, we have a, you know, I have a meeting every week with our practice manager Mm. so we can tease out what's working well, what's not, uh, what what processes need to improve, what are the gaps that we've got. We also then have at the moment an hour a week for the client care team for their own meeting as well so we can have that just blocked out time to actually Mm. nut out how things are going, to trial something new for the week and let's see how it goes for the week. Uh, So they've actually got an opportunity to to explore and, and you know, kind of experiment with with a, a new process if it works, if it doesn't. Um, and that's just been so important to just have those times where it's protected, it's contained, and it also gives us as leaders time to filter down um, what needs to change as well and catch some of those um, sometimes yucky behaviours that can come up in, in any team and, and nip some of that stuff in the button up so quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, it's it's been really great. We've done some swim lane activities with the, the client care team so everybody knows what everybody else does, but we've also done training across swim lanes so everybody can help mm-hmm. each other with all the different tasks that have to be done as well. It's not there's only one person that knows how to do this and there's only one person that knows how to do different things. So that's been it, it's we really pushed over the last six months to get the message across that the client care team is a team and they all work together. But the other thing that's really helped is that we've made it, so we've had some really explicit conversations about the clinicians and the client care team crossover and where we need to make sure that they're working really, really well together, but also just that really clear message about respect for our client care team because they're so important. I think that's been a big learning for me the last 12 months is that your business doesn't run without them. And you know, while they may not be necessarily university educated, they're still such an integral part of your team and to make sure that clinicians are really valuing the role that they play. Yeah, that that theme of togetherness is absolutely vital. The clinicians can't do their best work without the customer service team. Customer service team don't have a role unless the clinicians (laughs) are kind of, you know, serving clients with them as well. And it's interesting how often there can be this perception of divide. And the other thing, it can also, I get really, really interested when I kind of hear that, oh, well, we only really meet with the admin team once a month at which point my heart just breaks and kind of falls to bits all over the desk because that's just way too long. And, yeah, yeah. that integration and that cross-training um, cross is really, really important. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, kudos on getting a really little and often rhythm with, with the meetings. Yeah. Only way to go. Only way to go. Yeah. So tell us. A little bit about where sensational healing allied health is going. Like, you don't have to let all the secrets or so. Yeah, so I guess um, we have a bit of a two different arms of our organization. So, one is providing support to 
young people, children and young people who have disabilities and developmental delays. But my background and my real passion is actually working with children who've experienced developmental trauma. So that was my role for about five years before going into private practice. And that's kind of what shaped our mental health team. So the clinicians that have joined us have also got either that background or a real interest in working with that population. And so I guess, you know, one of the big motivators for me to create this business, uh, even before we were in the clinic space, was a a practice that really recognised the impact that trauma has on development in children and not just the psychological impact. Um, So, yeah, we really want to move into a space where we can create multidisciplinary care approach that, that has a real developmental lens but doesn't have... The, um, the same kind of restrictions that I experienced working in government roles. So it was a little trickier. So private practice obviously allows us to have a little bit more flexibility. Um, but, yeah, we're really, really excited to be able to start offering services to kids that do have a trauma background, whether it's foster care or resi care or just come from maybe domestic violence or something. So that's kind of the big reason that we, we moved into a multidisciplinary care approach uh, and we're really looking forward to getting our hands dirty in some of that space. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I, I kind of don't want to go down the clinical route, but I really want to go down the clinical <laughs> route, but we won't, but we won't, but we won't. Yeah. Um, but this is kind of an emerging piece in allied health allied health business. And, yeah, um, definitely. you know, you and I have sort of spoken before about how different businesses are getting into this space with different levels of clinical governance and, and all the rest of it. So it is a, it's a bit of a dance fair fair to say because your strategic partnerships are really different your referrers are really different the sharing of the care and this the whole stakeholder who's around the table is really really different and I and I think it it needs a a different commercial mindset as well Mm. Um, so fair to say it's not for the faint-hearted no, it's not, particularly from that commercial side of things. So, you know, NDIS is really straightforward, relatively safe work to get your bills paid. Oh, my gosh. People just park their cars and, um, yeah, by comparison. Yeah. Um, but I guess, yeah, it's, it's that piece around doing what you it, – it's that integrity piece around offering the service that you really believe in, even if getting the bills paid by um, government departments may be a little bit tricky. We're still going to do it because it is what we are really – um, really all about and really passionate about. So, yeah. yeah, and this very much does sound like a passion project that, you know, the business is really travelling towards serving a broader community but really um, really honing in on a particular um, cohort that, mm. um, yeah, is, is, is interesting and it's, it's going to create a bit of demand in terms of who you recruit. It's going to create some demand in terms of how teams operate within your organisation. It's going to create a different demand for your customer service team as well. I'm sure you've thought about all of that. Most of it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it has been really interesting the last few weeks, actually, discussions around um, the way that we support our, our client care team around yeah. clinical knowledge and around having mm. um, tricky conversations with families because we, we do have a cohort of families that are coming through with quite a lot of baggage and, and need a lot of emotional support. So, you know, it is a really whole team approach to providing providing that care um, and that sometimes our clients are a little bit more challenging and what that looks like in the way that we support our team. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. How's this going to change the way you manage the business? 
I think the only major change will be that there's some more uh, definite approach to stakeholder engagement and stakeholder relationships. Mm-hmm. So it is a bit of a different space. It's not just saying, hey, we have services here, come to us. It is really going to be about building really strong relationships with them, um, you know, particularly child yeah. protection and, and those kind of agencies. Uh, so that's probably going to take up a little bit more of my time, but um, you know, that's work I'm looking forward to doing. And I, I don't think otherwise it will make too much change. We obviously have a little bit more that we need to do in regards to risk management in the clinic. We've got a good mm. duress system now, mm. um, but that's fine. That's just the, the nature of Part the work of that we do. Part yeah. of it. And where do you think your leadership skills are going to be going oh. in the next 12, 24 months? Yeah, I think for me um, it's finding my comfort zone because um, having a team of 20 is definitely You've not found stepping... your comfort zone yet. What oh. comfort zone? <laughs> MIA. Yes. So, you know, I I remember uh, my partner and I always talk about this proximal development and I definitely took a big leap outside of that last year. Mm. Uh, So I think for me, my leadership is really around building my confidence um, in, yeah, supporting team. Uh, It's not where, it's not that I don't enjoy it. Um, I do. It's just that introvert in me sitting there in front of 20 people at the team meeting, you know, with shaking in my boots a little bit. (laughs) Um, So it'll be finding the confidence in that space, sort of, you know, that that opposite side of my wealth dynamic profile. Mm. Um, But, yeah, we'll get there. You're in a supporter and a lot of people listening won't know about the wealth dynamics profile, but that's okay. They'll probably be able to click it in the show notes. But um, it is about where your strengths are and it's Mm -hmm. also understanding who else you need with you to complement your strengths and to kind of lift some of your developing areas. And you can go, you know, to other parts of your profile, but it comes at an energetic cost. And yeah, it makes, it makes me really, really curious about some of the profiling and talents in your leadership team as well, because, you know, leadership is you got to lead yourself first, then you've got to lead others. And you, this leadership team, I think, is going to be fascinating to watch how they how they um, grow in the next little while along with you at the top. Yeah, it is going to be a really interesting period of time. And it's interesting, you know, when you talk about other people's profiles, we really should do those. We will get there. Mm. Um, But our leadership team are all, since September, all new. So there's also this big piece of, of the rest of the team that have been with us for a longer period of time, you know, people building relationships and, and getting to know one another and, and having the confidence and the trust with, the people that are leading them who are brand new to the service. So it's it's going to take a few months for things to settle, I think. And that's where I think my leadership is just so important and I probably didn't realise it, you know, six, 12 months ago around how I'm that, uh, the connecting piece between new team and old team and bringing everybody together and, mm. and really forming that that new new um, generation, I guess, on of team. What made you realise that? I have no idea. <laughs> um, I think sitting in our leadership meeting, uh, the first we had a, our first one two weeks ago when our final team member joined us. Finally, she got through from the UK. Uh, sitting there around that table, feeling um, very content with having all these amazing clinicians around me, but the penny dropped that they're all new. There was no one on our existing team um, that that was on the leadership team, and that wasn't through that our our current team. Our pre-existing team wasn't um, 
good enough. It's just that we had a lot of new grads mm-hmm. uh, and that's fine. Um, but that realisation that that there's lots of new relationships developing and, and I am the one that, well, I'm the original, that is, is bringing all these people into this organisation but also supporting them to, to get to know each other. Ooh, how you can do that? Well, a 52-week retention plan. There's <laughs> <laughs> um, now no, a ropes course and pottery and... <laughs> yeah. Oh, I can't believe I said um, that. You know what I think about all those sorts of activities for retention. We might have to delete that. Don't delete that. <laughs> so you, no, you, you were sitting there in this room thinking, oh, my gosh, now I've got the opportunity to get to know you as humans and coach you into a high-performing leadership team. Yeah, yeah. So, we, you know, we, we are doing, I'm investing a lot of my time, in, especially over the next three to four months, with building these relationships with these four yeah. amazing people uh, while trying not to neglect everybody else. Um, it, it's tricky when you have 20 people to, mm. to try and hold that space. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of investment of my time in, in building those relationships and supporting them, but I think it's also just around creating some structure and, and some supports around building the team connections as well. So, you know, we, we very intentionally did mental health first aid as an example to start having, well, we had two whole days together as a team, which was really lovely. Um, but also to start having some conversations about team wellbeing and mental health. And, and I think that was while some of the content was somewhat confronting, I think it was a really amazing space to be vulnerable together and I think that had a lot of benefit but we're also then just also doing some more lighthearted stuff so you know morning teas we have one of our clinicians getting married this week so we had a, a lovely a mini bridal shower for her at work and we've got another lady, another team member going on mat leave so we'll have a baby shower in a couple of weeks for her so just some of those more fun social mm-hmm. opportunities to sort of just bring the team together in a really relaxed way that has nothing to do with work and you just get to be yourself. Good glow. Good, yeah. What do you think um, some of your team members or how do you think some of your team members would describe you as a leader? Oh, I I would hope (laughs) that they would say that I was kind um, and approachable and supportive. Um, I really hope by the end of the year they would also say that I was firm but fair. So I think that's... And the um, queen of the spreadsheet. A queen of the spreadsheet, yes. <laughs> Have you um, surveyed your team? Could be a little early. No, not yet. I'm we're sitting there literally You're yesterday there. staring at the happy <laughs> HR screen thinking, oh, do I do one of these yet? Oh, no, possibly worth thinking about. Mm, definitely. And those sorts of processes are definitely in the, in the, in the pipelines as a regular mm. thing. That's something we mm. would like to start doing. It's just picking the right time to start some of these new processes. I am drip feeding a lot of change, so very mindful of not wanting to overload everybody. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, it's one thing to send the survey, but you've got to own the results on the other side. Sending the survey is the easy bit, like you might kind of crack a sweat, but you, you've got to deal with the data. Yeah, 100%. And, and getting comfortable with feedback, I think, uh, is is tricky. And um, but it's a, it's a place where you've got to have courage and 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 just own. You're right. Just own it. That um, it is just part of part and parcel of owning a business. Mm. So yeah, I think that has been a big um, moment for me. Realizing though that being the CEO of your own company that you've, you've grown from the ground up is so much more challenging 
internally for yourself than if you were just employed as a CEO by a board of directors because it's your baby and it's your beliefs and your values and your dreams and, you know, we're open to feedback about that is is a little bit scary. Is there anything you would have done differently though? No, no, not significantly. COVID not happening would have been nuts. Oh, yeah, look, if you could have just arranged uh, that. No pandemic. Mm. Um, I think I probably probably would have got a little bit more structure around team support a little earlier is, mm. is on, on reflection. Um, things like PDP reviews and um, line management supervision specifically for client care team, I would have put that in earlier. Yep. Um, just a few little things like that. Yeah. What words of wisdom do you have for business owners sitting there listening to this, wondering about whether to stay small or go big? I think if you want, be prepared to go big and be prepared to grow a hell of a lot as a human being yourself. Mm. Uh, It does, people push your buttons. And the more people that you have, the more complex your internal system gets, I guess, of all the different relationships and interactions in your team. Um, So be prepared to do a lot of work on you and your own leadership skills. Um, but to say to stay small, it's nice as well. There's there was a real um, joy and comfort in a, a smaller team. There was a point in our journey where we had sort of that five to eight staff that it really did feel like a little family, um, and the team was really really happy. And that is a nice comfortable place to stay and I guess it just depends on what your goals are as a business owner on on what you're wanting to achieve for us a team that small was never going to help us to achieve that multidisciplinary approach to to what we want to do um and I guess for us the the other big reason for our growth was because the demand for allied health in our region is just huge so for me it was an ethical thing around how do I just keep sitting here with 200 kids on a wait list um I think there's definitely pros and cons of both and Looking back now, would I would I change it? Maybe because that little family was lovely, um, but I guess is is the bigger picture side of it as well of being able to serve. It's that ripple effect that you talk about, um, mm. being able to serve a higher volume of of families in the community. Does mm. mm. come down to knowing what you want, knowing what you don't want, and then about how much you want it. Mm. And the pieces that you don't want that might come along anyway, it's the nature <laughs> oh, yeah. of the beast, it's them. knowing how to tackle those. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. What about time? What about time? You've worked incredibly hard um, mm. across 2021 um, to get all of the things done for all of the people on all of the days. What do you want your time to look like going forward now? <sighs> Ideally, uh, I my dream for mm, God knows when, sometime in the next eighteen months, is to have some maternity leave in lieu. Yes, this, this is an yeah. interesting concept. So, little babe was, um, yeah, back in. Uh, I don't think you get uniforms small enough for two weeks or something, but you were back pretty quick. So you're going to go on. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah. So we're going to have some maternity leave to just really spend some time with my family and sort of really connect with the kids and um, make up for lost time, I guess. Um, so that's a big piece for me. And I, and I think as well, 
you know, long service leave is an interesting concept in this current day and age where no one stays really in a job for 10 years. Mm. Um, so that's something I've been pondering as well around um, work-life balance and that not just me but anybody, you know, when you, mm. I've been going pretty hardcore since sort of 20, 2004 um, if we count uni, which which was a lot of work too. Um so 20 years down the track, I really would like a decent break. And I think that's really important for anybody to to have an opportunity to actually recharge properly and, you know, maybe open the next chapter of what life will look like. Um, so that's probably the bigger picture. But I think in the in the short term, um, you know, I'm, I'm quite happy with my four days. I offer all our staff a nine-day fortnight as well. We are trying to sort of get to that point where we do have some better work-life balance. Um, but, yeah, time, I think for me the big part, about time is accepting that there is a finite number of hours in the week and you can only achieve so much each week. So you don't get more than 25 mm. hours a day? <laughs> 24? You haven't yeah. magicked up another hour? Okay. No. Now time, so how, how to use it, hey? How to use it, but also to be kind to yourself that, yeah. you know, that project that's been sitting there on your to-do list for three months, sometimes that's okay. You, you'll get there eventually and it'll happen when it's meant to happen. And yep. to not just beat yourself up when though that to-do list is looking quite exhaustive and long, mm. um, that you'll get there in the end. Yeah, yeah. I think there's belief also that um, and it's, a con- it's a belief I kind of challenge, a belief that you've got to catch up and a belief that you've got to get everything done or else you're just not good enough or whatever. But the nature of business is that it is relentless in a way that it's always evolving. So if you've run out of things to do or if you've ticked everything off your to-do list, that's almost a different problem. (laughs) That's a concern. That's a concern. Um, I think there's there's also that it's very easy to fall in that trap of falling on your own sword. I've got to work a huge amount of hours because Mm. I have my own business. I in in I've been in private practice since 2016, and I've never worked more than 40 hours a week, not consistently. Um, and at the moment, with two small children, I I do my eight till 4:30, and I go home, and then I go back into mum mode. Um, you know, we do the mm. odd activity on a weekend. You know, we've got a um, a community expo in a couple of weeks on a Sunday for a couple of hours, tidbits like that. But but you know, 80 hour weeks and that sort of thing, you're doing something wrong <laughs> if you're yep. working that much. And yep. You're either using your time inefficiently or you're putting just too much on your plate. And, you know, you can't be your best self and you can't support and lead your team if you're absolutely exhausted all the time. Yeah, yeah. And just, yeah, you're not modelling sustainability, you're not modelling self-care, you're not modelling, you know, so many other kind of sub agendas Mm. that um, the team are picking up, you know, consciously or not. So um, Mm. business will only be as good as you are and if you're a little ragged, you're going to see that ripple through as a rule. Yeah, 100%. Mm. All righty. Well, you can have the last moment with the talking stick, I reckon. What would uh, Anything else you'd like listeners to have a think about? I think, yeah, it's, I remember sitting in some of your, um, your group business owner conferences and, and trainings, Kathy, and I just think about the people and the calibre of people in those rooms and I think anyone that, gets into private practice and creates these types of businesses are just amazing humans and I think we need more of them and we need people that are really passionate about what they do Um, and to just to not be too afraid you know if if there's someone that 
is thinking about maybe leaving a, an employment kind of situation, a government role or a non-government role, that although it is a big, big chunk of work, um, and not in the sense of time, but in the sense of challenge, that it's really rewarding both for myself, but also for my community. And I think about the 250, 300 families that we support right now, and I feel really um, proud of of what we've been able to achieve in four years. So it's definitely worth it. It's hard work, but I hope there's some some other people out there that are willing to to put, you know, maybe dip their toe in the water, even if it's only on a part-time basis, to get out and, and offer some really amazing services to their communities. Oh, love it, love it, love it. Can't wait to see what you guys get up to in the next uh, couple of years ahead. Thanks, Catherine, yeah. for coming in. No, that's all right. Thanks so much for having me. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Private Practice Made Perfect podcast. For show notes and other resources, please visit practicemadeperfectpodcast.com. While you are there, you can subscribe for future episodes and continue your business adventure with me. And please be sure to share this and other episodes with your friends and colleagues. The Private Practice Made Perfect podcast is brought to you by Experts on Air Podcast Network.